and welcome back to the Y Hockey. Periodically believing the Panthers might be in the playoff race, only to be reminded that, oh wait, reality's hitting again. Podcast. Was there a hot minute where you thought these effers might actually do this? Because there may have been a minute on Saturday night against the Wild where I thought, you know what, they might actually do this in spite of everything that I have believed previously. And then the last two nights have proven, oh wait, no, reality's going to hit you on the head like an anvil. Well, I mean, I thought that they could pull themselves back into the conversation, but to me it was always, you know, the next time they play a team in the hunt like Pittsburgh or Buffalo or, you know, those the guy, the teams that they need to beat, you know, in a hard stretch, what are they going to do? Um, you know, and they've kind of been keep winning, getting – they haven't been able to win three games in a row, which is a big milestone we, we talked about mm. uh, to – to just getting that belief back that they can come back because it's hard to catch up on teams if you can't win three games in a row, um, especially with half a season left. Uh, and and so the fact that they have played more games than less everybody. than half a season, yeah. Um, so, but I needed like this was the big two games against the Rangers and the Penguins, like a huge two games, and for whatever reason, uh, whether Knights hurt Knight. Didn't want to play because he got upset that, or didn't want to dress because he got upset. Like I don't know what the heck happened, and we'll probably never know. But like they weren't prepared to have a fresh goalie ready to go against Pittsburgh, a pretty must-win game. Uh, And to me, that's just like a huge error. And you had the time over the weekend and stuff. Like I don't know, like. I would have preferred Guzda to get a first NHL start uh, than Lyon going back to back. Yeah, and I, I want mean, to talk about all like of this. There's, yeah, yes. so there's just like a lot of like my as the Panthers have kind of played well enough to get I don't necessarily have belief that they're going to get into the playoffs this year just because of the odds but I have more belief in the locker room in the roster. I can, I can say that. Like, I, I think that there are obviously weak spots, you know, Mark Stahl. Uh, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but they have how many left-handed defensemen in their minor league system. Please try something different. Uh, you know, like, but overall I see a, a good core, a good bones, a good, that I like that I think can have playoff success. It's everything around it. And when you play a winning organization like Pittsburgh, you're kind of reminded of all that. Like, they are able to do the things that Florida wants to do, like play on the margins and stuff with a high cap with, you know, not that many, with kind of a thinner roster and stuff and relying on your stars and all this. But, you know, it just doesn't come out the same way. I don't know what happens in the process, but... Uh, it's pretty obvious when, you know, Pittsburgh is able to put everybody through their washer machine and and they come out, you know, everybody looks like a high IQ player, someone who's driven, someone who's got legs and endurance for a whole 60 minutes. They never tire. They're always in the right spots. They always are hard on their sticks. Um, You know, like, I don't know where they get these guys, but I guess we should be fishing from that pond. The Mark Donkin Buzz Flivet. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it, it it is a meme. Like it's a it's a meme. Like as old as, 
you know, a lot of it feels guys like that that's been care. around in hockey Twitter forever, but the tweet's only like three yeah, years those, old. Yeah, those guys are already retired. That's how long the meme is. I know. It feels like it. Uh, we're going to get to all of that shortly. Obviously, there are other things I want to get to here briefly uh, that are hockey adjacent. Uh, and I think you can tell what these probably are based on who Tommy and I are. First thing I want to mention, obviously, before we get back into to talking hockey, obviously, I think everyone knows about what happened with uh, SB Nation and Vox run by cataclysmically stupid morons. And it frustrates me to no end because I think everybody you know, not just in hockey, but in most areas of sports media online, have come through an SB Nation site at some point. I got paid by Vox at one point. I did a Maryland podcast for many years, and at the tail end, I got paid by them. So I felt it very strongly on Friday when all of the websites basically just got defunded. They didn't get shut down. They got defunded. They've been monetized with a stipend, and they did lay off, obviously, Steph Driver, and that was heartbreaking because Steph is awesome. And I know, obviously, I'm not a Flyers fan, but some Flyers fans obviously listen to this. I know you have read Broad Street Hockey. Again, Broad Street Hockey... For all that, you know, you might want to say about the team blogs, I mean, there is a very powerful assistant general manager in the National Hockey League well, who got his start on Broad Street Hockey a decade I just, ago. I just want to say that Broad Street Hockey is the probably the only rational <laughs> uh, Flyers media, and I included us when we were covering the Flyers. Like, they, they do a pretty good job of everything. There's so many people who've come and gone through there that I enjoyed writing, uh, uh, reading, not writing. Um, you know, it was just, uh, it's, it's really a shame. Uh, and you know, I'm always pro labor and pro workers and, you know, I, I supporting give a writers. I friend Alex Kirshner, who before he got laid off by Vox, cause everybody's been laid off by Vox at some point. I left on my own accord, but if I had stayed long enough, I probably would have been laid off by Vox too. Uh, he helped start the Vox union and you learned a lot about, um, how all of that works by just watching him go through it. And a ton of good people have gone through that union and whose lives have been made better by a union. Obviously, you've got two very strong union supporters on this podcast. I want to say also <laughs> shout out to Todd Little at, at Litterbox Cats. I hope that they find somewhere to go and they will. I think all of these places will have enough of a reader base and a dedicated commenter base that they'll find a uh, play to go. The Ice Garden, the women's site, has already gotten, I think, like $5,000 in donations. So... They're all going to find a better place than Vox. It's just very unfortunate that we have to go through this again. And I should also say the MLS side of it, too. Incredibly strong, smart people who run MLS blogs through SB Nation also got defunded. And in many cases, with hockey, at least you have some level of other coverage that's going on. But in the case of MLS, like that might be the only independent media covering that team other than the team itself. Finding those MLS games and finding that independent coverage that you need to build the sport and to build the brand of these teams, you get, you get into it through independent coverage, not the team stuff. And those also got severed by a bunch of idiots. And then yesterday, I know everybody saw the, uh, the Vox is looking for $200 million in funding, and I, uh, I had a funny meme to post. And uh, there's again, I still know people who work for Vox, and they're great, obviously. And you're going to learn something if you work in a decent environment, even as wrecked as that place has been. Somebody tweeted, I think it was, oh, I'm forgetting who it was, and it's, oh, it's Grant Brisby who tweeted this out. It was supposed to be a DM, but it's actually the best tweet I've seen on the situation. 
He called them the 1994 Montreal Expos of websites. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen on Twitter. And so, uh, obviously, solidarity with all of you. You're going to find a better place, as everybody with Vox has found a better place, even when you get laid off. And I'm hoping for them as well. So, had to shout out those people. Anytime there are layoffs in sports media, it's painful because I love this business and there are a ton of good people who work in this business that get, in some cases, chased away because the people who run media companies have no earthly clue how to run a media company. It's hilarious that I could sit on my couch and I hate business. I would never go to business school and I know how to run a website better and I don't even do a very good job of it necessarily. See where I am in my career. So shout out to the SB Nation Vox people and solidarity with all workers and all unions as I'm so really glad that even with some of these other layoffs we've seen in media, which obviously drives me nuts, that most of these people have a really good union to work with, and media unions are so important. And shout out to them. No matter what the business people will tell you about uh, unions, particularly in this case media unions, part of the Writers Guild of America. Next up, it's been eight days, but I, I do need to talk about the Ivan Provorov situation. Not that it's obvious already where I stand on this, but I need to go through a couple of points here that I want to talk about, and I feel that the podcast is the best place to go through it because I've written about this before already on the Y Hockey uh, Substack. If you go back to June, I wrote something about this that Tommy graciously allowed me to write on the Tampa Bay Rays, who screwed up Pride Night in the exact same way the Flyers did. Nobody's learned their lesson of how these things are supposed to go. I want to go on a couple different points here. The first is Ivan Provorov, obviously, and um, you have every right to say what you want. But, remember, it's the hot dog meme. We're all trying to find out who did this. It's the consequences of your actions. If you feel so empowered that you can't wear a Rainbow Flyers logo for 20 minutes during a warm-up at a Tuesday night game against the Anaheim Ducks in a tank battle, then you are a bigot. And if you feel comfortable putting your views out there in the world, all the power to you. Just understand what the consequences of your actions are. And unfortunately, and we're going to get to this in a second, he has faced no professional consequences for this. A bunch of people like me can sit here and say you are a disgusting bigot with absolutely reprehensible worldviews, but he's not facing any professional consequences for it. And to me, if you're going to do this, it is a private workplace in the end. I don't care what people start tweeting, and I don't care what right-wing media picks up on it. You still should face professional consequences if you're going to be a public bigot, which you would in most other workplaces. And to me, we will get to the Flyers in a second, that's where we really saw them drop the ball. But, on the sense of Ivan Provorov, just in the case of religion, yes, I understand that the Russian Orthodox Church and many religious institutions have been warped, or certain people within those institutions use religion as a meat shield for bigotry. But here's what's funny, Ivan Provorov, and anybody defending him. I've seen Russian Orthodox members say this exact thing. I've seen evangelicals say the same thing when it came to a sports contest. The Rays, that's what happened in June. They were all presumably evangelicals or Catholics, and they said the same exact thing. Same language, same nonsense, different religion. And I've seen a Muslim player in AFL women's footy. The exact same thing in November. It's not new. I think what people who are in these positions and want to use uh, religion as a meat shield for bigotry, have yet to figure out is the playbook has now been established. And all of us, obviously, the people who are affected by this on a daily basis, understand what the playbook is and we see right through it. But what was at least somewhat heartening to me is that everyone else saw through it too. And hockey media 
in many cases, I think the Flyers beat did a decent job of this. Charlie O'Connor, uh, obviously, at the Athletic, I think, did a very good job. But also Pierre Lebrun did it. And I know this from the people I talk to. If you're getting shout-outs from people who are very cynical of this kind of thing when it comes to not, not just all sports, but particularly hockey, that this was covered in the way that it largely should have been, I think that that is a step forward in the positive direction, at least from hockey media, who called this out immediately and said, no, 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 you're not getting away with this, buddy. And that was very heartening to me. So that's part one. Part two are the Flyers themselves. And I understand that the Flyers want to be celebrated for what Scott Lawton and James Van Riemsdyk are trying to do in broadening the tent and doing this advocacy work. And look, they're doing a good thing. I cannot say otherwise. However, on a night like this, when this is the only Pride Night you're going to do in a year. It's not like you're doing 41 of them. You do one. When it is upstaged by a bigot who took the night away from what this was supposed to be about because he refused to wear a jersey, and then he went in a press conference and said, I respect everyone's choices. I would never have chosen to be bisexual if I had a choice. No queer person on earth, sexuality, gender identity, who cares? Nobody would choose to live in the world we live in. Do you see the headlines every day? Do you see what happens on Twitter? Do you see what Ivan Provorov feels empowered to do? None of us would choose to live in this world if we had a choice, but we don't have a choice. You have a choice to be a bigot. And the Flyers had a choice in this game to scratch him because obviously we know John Tortorella will scratch anybody for any reason, no matter how good you are, for hockey reasons or otherwise, and they didn't choose to scratch him. And people who are saying that this is John John Tortorella learning from what happened with, obviously, his comments about Colin Kaepernick years ago, I understand that, and there is something to be said for that, but I will say this and what is different. This is the one night a year where queer people feel like they are somewhat welcome at a hockey game. Most nights of the year, queer people do not feel welcome in hockey games. There was an incredible tweet thread from somebody whose name is escaping me, and I have to scroll back on my timeline to find it, so please give me one second while I vamp. It was an incredibly good thread that I think really summarized this brilliantly, and for me, explained everything that needed to be explained And I was really happy to see this thread because I think it got, obviously, a lot of volume on Twitter, and that was really good. And I'm happy for that. Okay, it's from Cody Sweet. I have to mention that. Go read that tweet thread. I retweeted it. It's from a week ago. But if you could go scroll back on my timeline, you could find it. And basically what Pride Nights are is an effort from teams and the NHL and whoever to say, you belong here. We understand that for most nights of the year, You feel like you don't belong. And that's fair. Most queer hockey fans have to spend every day debating to themselves, why am I a hockey fan when I love this sport and it doesn't love me back? It doesn't care about me. Pride Night at this point, I don't like Pride Nights. I don't think they really do anything in terms of actively moving the game forward when it comes to this issue. But it does so fans who are gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever, that you belong here, at least for one night. And then when you have that one night upstaged by a bigot who felt empowered to do what he does when nobody else feels empowered in our community to stand up in hockey other than a handful of people, what you are saying then is you don't actually matter. This is the one night you have to feel like you belong, and even on this night, you don't belong. You have to understand, as a person who is part of this community, that... 
That is one of the most damning things you can tell people, and it scares them away. For a group of people that already has to compartmentalize and go through logic pretzels just to justify the fact that they're hockey fans, I'm not surprised that people, again, queer people don't usually find themselves in sports because it's nonsense like this. And what Ivan Provorov did was took a night that was designed to celebrate a community and he said, no, this community shouldn't be celebrated. They don't belong here. My views are more important. And the Flyers, all they had to do was say, we're not going to play him tonight. You didn't even have to tell the truth. You could have scratched him. John Tortorella could have said, oh, he has a minor injury. We're not going to play him. We're going to be safe. And you could have used trade deadline justification for that. How easy would it have been to lie? A really small white lie. When hockey teams are famous at not telling the truth. And so to me, the Flyers not scratching him means that I'm not going to celebrate what your players are doing when it comes to queer acceptance, when it comes to moving the ball forward, because you dropped the ball on the one thing you were supposed to do, you couldn't even do it right. Pride nights are very low margin for success. And I understand that because they're very hard to do right. If you do them right, basically the only thing I'm going to do is give you a golf clap for doing it correctly and not screwing it up. But if you do it wrong, you find yourself in the middle of a firestorm. And I completely understand that. And most people in the Flyers who are trying to run this from the business ops, you know, and the team who wanted to wear these jerseys, they have their hearts in the right place. But at some points like this, you need to understand how it's going to be received by the community who this is intended towards. And the community who this was intended towards, obviously and legitimately felt insulted by it. And John Tortorella at some point used words in his press conference, you know, that Ivan Provorov was like living his truth or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And obviously those were the wrong words to use. And I'm not blaming him for that. And I'm not blaming the fact that most people in the Flyers business ops or the players or John Tortorella are straight people, mostly straight men, who will never understand what it's like to be in the position that I'm in or many other people are in. But at some point there needs to be that empathy and that empathy not being there is why the Flyers screwed up their Pride Night as badly as they did. I'm not telling them to not do Pride Nights in the future. I'm not telling Scott Lawton and James Van Riemsdyk to not continue to do the things that they have done. But I am telling everybody, you have to learn your lesson from this. There are multiple examples, as I've already mentioned, from the last year of what can happen if you get Pride Nights wrong. And how insulting it is to the community that you're trying to celebrate if you screw it up. Look. If they don't want to wear jerseys because it goes against their religious beliefs, whatever, I don't care. I can sit here calling you a bigot, whatever. You have to make sure that there are professional consequences for that, as there would be anywhere else. This isn't a free speech issue. If you're going to be a jerk, you have to face the consequences for being a jerk. And if you're a jerk in your workplace, all of you listening, you would face consequences for it. And Ivan Provorov faced none. The Flyers could have also easily said to Ivan Provorov, hey, donate $10,000 to the Flyers charity that we are going to donate to for Pride Night because that's what the Jersey auction was for. They didn't even do that. That would not have absolved them of blame for screwing this up, but at least it would have been an attempt. They didn't even do that. Now, Ivan Provorov's professional consequences might be everybody sees him as a bigot and he might not be able to be traded at the trade deadline this year, but that's not really professional consequences. And what needs to happen is what happened, we saw a minor league player, I think he played for the Peoria Riverman, I'm not going to dignify him by giving him his name, but he has been tweeting, I mean, completely heinous nonsense about queer people. 
and in the ECHL, his contract got terminated and he doesn't play. It is a privilege to play hockey, and you got to earn that. you got to earn that. And Ivan Provorov, I don't care how good he is, Kevin Hayes got scratched. Rasmus Ristolainen got scratched for hockey reasons, tortsness. Why Ivan Provorov couldn't have been scratched, and why the Flyers couldn't have lied about it for one night. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, okay. I mean, well, I mean, I... I, I... Like, I think that there are some issues. I agree with everything you're saying. Like, you know, if he wants to show everybody who he is, that's fine. That's great. You know, and we can and we're free to have our opinions of him, too. I I don't agree with his choice at everything. I haven't talked to really anybody that agrees with his choice, even you know, even people who are on the other side of the aisle of me politically, not that that is what we're talking about because this isn't a political matter but you know like it just has this is a settled matter for them like this is about human dignity and acceptance and they don't understand it but i think we talked about unions i think that there are some issues with the players union and stuff in this and like why couldn't they lie cuz maybe Ivan Provorov said if you lie I'm going to tell the media what it was really about and make it a and big then, deal you know, and, I have and then they get caught lying I apologize for that yeah. but here's what I would have said at that point if the if they lied and it came out what the real reason was you know what I would have said I would have said this is one of the boldest statements any sports team has made against homophobia that I have ever seen this player but said that's I'm not going to that's not this basic gesture that takes 20 minutes and is not really that hard to do and the flyer said this is Pride Night. We're going to support our community. You're not going to play if you're going to do this. But, I understand why they didn't in, in warped logic, but I would have said, what a statement this team has made. And I would have then given the Flyers a ton of credit for that, but they couldn't do it. But, it, like, they're not going to because they're Comcast. Like, they were putting, like, it was the players' initiative to put on this night. It wasn't their initiative. You know, it was two players who did their best but aren't, weren't equipped to face this situation obviously because like it's not they're not trained for this situation and how to handle and it that's the best why way. I don't blame them but, for what happened. But, I blame the organization like, for like a lot if, of things if, that happened here. Like like if he is so stubborn about the issue that he wouldn't take warm-ups to wear a jersey even though it doesn't like even though it doesn't mean he sponsors it or like it doesn't mean he's going to hell like all this stuff in his head is bullshit made up fairy tale you know like it just doesn't exist it's, it's all just excuses for for hating somebody for being different and but you know if he's that stubborn about it he is going to make waves and the and maybe this was their attempt to try to ma- minimize the input if we lie about it the far right and all this all the people who glom on is going to make a bigger news media if we scratch him it's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna push harder back against us. He's gonna. It's gonna make it a bigger thing. Let's not try to take away from the good we're doing. I don't. I. I think I'm just trying to speak from the other side of what maybe they were trying to accomplish. But the the big issue is it's hockey people making the decisions. They didn't even really let the business side and Comcast, who you know runs human resources and who should be because. You know, you compare this to an other work environments, and I agree with you there, but it goes through a different structure, not 
it goes to people who are trained for that and who know how to proceed in these matters, and they weren't alerted. So it was hockey people making these trade-offs with Provorov, and that's why it was so bad. Yeah, like that and, was the and, big and mistake. I, and, that's, and Charlie O'Connor like, reported that, and that's yeah, 100% all, correct. All they should have done, they should have turned it over. This is this is a if this is ha- like you know if this is if he feels this way and he's call- pulling the religion card and you know and other people right you know see it as a human rights issue and things like that that obviously is a human resources uh, field and that the, uh, we sh- hockey hockey people cannot be banked on to make the right decision and and to to steer the boat the right way in these these things because they're always going to be predominantly focused on the hockey thing and that's why torts has no problem scratching people for hockey reasons but for this he's hesitant because it he he does he's he is unsure he doesn't know even if he wanted to scratch him uh you know he might be hesitant because of all the different things with the union and the and a grievance that Provolve probably would have won because of the way the CBA is written and and just the way the NHL unfortunately still is. I'm going to make this point and then we're going to move on because I spent 15 minutes on this and that's and that's enough because the situation has receded into yeah. the background. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to forget I'm about happy, it. Obviously, I'm happy. I'm happy to give you the, the space well, and no, everything I had to, to say, because say it, this. Because I think a lot of people were speaking on this and a lot of people had good nature and good intentions. But again, it's a lot of straight men speaking about it and. No offense to all these people who have done their best. You're not going to be able to come at it the same way as I will ever, you know, be able to come at it because you just don't see the world the same way. And I can't blame you for that. Like, you need to be a dyed-in-the-wool advocate, like Curtis Gabriel level, to understand that. And very few people have the ability to do that, and that's perfectly understandable. The one last thing from the Cody uh, Sweet thread that I do want to mention is he's not speaking for the community. But it is something that I've thought about, and I know, in some ways, my friend Brock McGillis would probably agree. If you can't do Pride Night right, don't do it at all. Because the risks of something like this happening are very great. And when you screw it up, you saw the blowback the Flyers got. You know, this has already been a tough year for the Flyers in many ways, and this made it worse. Like, if you didn't do a Pride Night, I would go, well, why didn't you do a Pride Night? And then maybe, again, somebody says, well, we tried to do it, but then things got in the way, or whatever it is. The problem is with Pride Night is it's mainly a token gesture, and when you don't get the token gestures right, and that's all you get, like, we're, I am, I have sometimes had a debate in my head about insincere displays of charity versus genuine displays of apathy, and sometimes I go back and forth in my own head on what I think is worse, or what I would accept more. And, you know, insincere displays of charity, you know, they have good intentions behind it, but they are fundamentally insincere. And I'm not saying that there isn't sincerity in a Pride Night, but most Pride Nights from sports teams are insincere displays of charity. Genuine displays of apathy are not great, but at least they're genuine emotions. And this is the thing that I think that we need to understand. Like, if you're going to do Pride Nights, it's more than wearing a rainbow jersey. You have to eradicate the garbage chirps you hear from fans in the upper decks that are intimating horrible slurs and all of this and eradicating it from the lower levels of hockey. The Flyers run so many junior hockey teams. Go to them and start talking to them about how you can't use this in chirps. This is not acceptable. You don't know who you're playing against. You don't know how hard it is. 
like not just from Brock and also Luke Prokop, but again, the number of closeted players in hockey, I, we don't know how many, but there are not an insignificant number. And this is not me saying I know some. This is me saying that just in general, there are more closeted people in the world than you realize. Like, how do they feel? What if there is a closeted player in the Flyers organization? How do they feel after all of this? I can't imagine they felt all that good. Because I know even the people who understand this stuff when they are in the closet and that have created an ability for themselves to rationalize what they're doing and to understand what they're doing without wrecking their own mental health, even they're going like, what the heck? Like, how do you feel welcome in a situation like this? So I hope the lessons have been learned considering how much of a, you know, a shitstorm this became. But it's hockey, so I don't know how many lessons have actually been learned. And I hope for teams running Pride Nights, you understand what happens if you get it wrong now. Get these things right. Talk with your queer members of the community. Talk with queer friends. You can talk to me, and I'll tell you, here's what you should and shouldn't do. You don't necessarily have to listen to me, but at least you've talked with somebody who understands from the perspective of who you're trying to reach. That goes to the Panthers. That goes to any team. You're, there are resources out there. There are people out there in this sport who care who you can talk to. Talk to them, and they'll give you the best piece of advice that you can get. You might not be able to do it for reasons that you know, we can't control, but if you're going to do it, again, talk to us and see about the models that work. Because apparently the Capitals had a Pride Night the same night and did it perfectly well because they understood. And there are plenty of Russians well, on that I mean, team, too. Yeah. You know. Yes. Yeah. But I... Anyway, it, I think we've so spent our time a, on this. I think it's a unique thing that someone has felt that strongly enough. But again, you do have a point that maybe it was because there wasn't that strong of a leadership in the room to, you know, to steer the situation. And one last thing I'll say before we move on to the hockey here. Isn't it hilarious that for years we were told a gay player would be a distraction in the locker room, a queer player would be a distraction in the locker room. Well, now it turns out that the bigot's a distraction in the locker room. And at least in 15 years, for as little progress as we've actually made, that at least has inverted on its head, and I can at least give a hearty, chortled, muffled laugh at that. Anyway, let's move on yeah. to the hockey. Yeah, everybody, everybody, everybody can be a problem in the locker room. Sure <laughs> enough, as apparently Ivan Provorov has been. Uh, let's spend some time talking about the Panthers. We got off uh, on the top about it. And I do want to say, like, and I want to go on your point about the dressing room and how I spent a lot of time when we were talking about Paul Maurice in the summer about how the Panthers dressing room is wildly different to that of the dressing room in Winnipeg where players pulled rank. I think what, as you said, that this dressing room is pretty strong and is still fighting, even though obviously I think plenty of them would probably have some disagreements with the coach on certain decisions that he's made. Like it is a strong locker room. And for all of the nonsense you see sometimes on Twitter about how Barkov's a bad captain, like, that dude's a pr- hell of a good captain. He's kept this ship going. Like, I thought after that Rangers game on January 1st that we were heading towards something really ugly. And they did find a way, in the Paul Maurice unique way that it can be said, to pull out of the skid and got themselves at least within conversation distance, is the way I'll put it, of the playoffs. And you've got players who are, who are given everything out there, even if they're tired, even if the schedule's not fair to them, but that's not an excuse. Even if they've been let down by coaching decisions and management decisions, but, they're still fighting their tails off, and I have to give them credit for that. 
Yes, but unfortunately, the results are somewhat the same. They can't get a three-game win streak. They can't get goaltending. Their defense has monumental lapses where they just lose focus and awareness of where their checks are on the ice, where the puck is on the ice. I mean, you can't get flat-footed standing on the blue line, Gus Forsling, twice in two days. Oh, um, yeah. Some of those you know, errors like, were just and yikes. He has the most defensive IQ out of the defense. Like, I, I, I know we joked about the, them having dumb players last podcast, but I'm starting to be more and more convinced that the defense are trained to be dumb, that they're trained to be focusing on and thinking about jumping into the play or what happens when we get the puck or what, what gap or lane can I fill uh, up the ice uh, instead of, you know, focusing on where's my check. If this is, a, if the puck goes back to this way, or if this guy gets beat, how am I covering and, and, you know, staying on the right side of the puck and things like that. I mean, this is an Ekblad through, you know, Mahor and Gudis type issue um, for sure. I also think maybe it's just because, not that they don't evaluate defensemen properly, but they evaluate defensemen in a certain way that means they miss things that other teams have keyed in on pretty strongly. No, I mean, and I don't know. It's probably hard to find defensemen in the NHL. I, I will give them that. Um, it's pro- it's probably really hard. The prices are really high. I mean, you look at what Zito paid for Sherratt. You look at what someone's going to pay for Gavrikov or Radko Gudis. Joel, Joel Edmondson and hopefully Radko Gudis. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're high prices. But if you're smart, you know, what haven't they done? They haven't drafted defensemen. I, was t- I had a defenseman, Tobias Velen, Velen or whatever, Finnish defenseman, I ranked him 30th in 2021. He was a fifth-round pick, so the Panthers could have gotten him, you know, if they really wanted him. Uh, and and now he's looking really good. Elite Prospects is doing reports on how he's looking like a steal a couple years later. And look at his progression, and these are the things to look for in a good defenseman and stuff. And it's like, where are the Panthers with that? They've They've identified offensive instinct. They've identified good athletics abilities with, you know, I feel like Mahora is more athletic than probably his foot speed shows. Uh, you know, Montour obviously is, is almost a freak athlete. Uh, Forsling's very athletic. You know, they've been getting some, Kirsten's pretty good athletic. He's just not as strong on his checks and, and stick and stuff as I'd want. But, you know, he's a good skater and stuff like that. Like, they, they're good at identifying traits. But I don't think that they – I don't know if they think that they're too smart, that they don't need this type of defense still, um, you know, that they don't need uh, guys who are just always going – like Barkov is a player who is just always focused, always thinking the smart play. He's, he's always, you know, being on the right side of the puck, coming underneath the puck to start the breakout – He's always just doing the right things. Uh, it's in second nature to him. They don't have defensemen that are like that defensively. They can find forwards, and they can make forwards better defensively. I mean, Bennett, from when he's come to where what he's doing right now this year, covering for D for extended periods of time, shutting down rushes, you know, kicking, 
blocking passes with his skates, you know, kicking it up to a stick and starting a, a break the other way and things like that. I mean, they can do it with forwards. I don't understand the disconnect with the defense, and that is why it's probably so so frustrating for me. And I yell and yell and shit talk because, like, they're spending money on Colin White and Nick Cousins, who I, I'm trying not to yell at Colin White because he made up for it with the goal later in the game. But he also gave up a goal. And Nick Cousins gave up a goal with awful coverage. And these are the bottom six defensively good, consistent, you know, not a liability guys that they spent $2.3 million on because that they thought they needed that. And, you know, they've been in and out of the lineup. They're healthy scratches, not injured scratches. And we don't have many healthy scratches this year. So that says something, especially when Tierney and Dalpy and stuff stay in over them. Uh, you know, like, where, why aren't they looking at D? I see some D in the minors that I would say have defensive awareness and IQ. Um, you know, John Ludwig, uh, Santo Canunin, man, my pronunciation is terrible. Uh, I'll never get good at it. You know, Lucas Carlson, Lucas Carlson, Matt Kearson, that's that's four defensemen, one's a righty, three. Our lefty. Let's see what Fitzgerald can do. You know, like it, it's 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 frustrating because the matchups by Maurice, the personnel decisions by Maurice, the management decisions. With you know, you know some of this like throwing Knight to the wolves so many times this year. He gets lit up and then he doesn't play for a while and stuff. And it's like, well, why did you put him in that game? You should have given him the game beforehand or the game after where it was the easier opponent or. You know, it would be a better game for him. Uh, and then, you know, when you need Knight to play, he's not there. What's going on with that? Why are we get Lyon, you know? Um, well, you know, I was going to say, at it, one point... It doesn't seem like the issue is on the ice anymore. The issue used to be that the roster wasn't good enough. We had we had Quinville. We had, you, you know, everything was... Easy. It was about getting the roster better. And then before that, it was... We don't know if the roster is good enough because we don't, uh, you know, ha- we, you know, we're not winning. The roster is probably not good enough. We don't have a front office or a coach. We don't have anything. But now it just seems like we have most. We have a playoff team, and we have most of a good playoff team, and we're we're on track to be a bottom eight team in the league, with some teams that are really bad. Leapfrog, getting leapfrogged by divisional rivals who are still in a rebuild. Uh, yeah, the, the same. I mean, like, what, what, I don't know how to spin this. Like, I mean, it's, and it's not just because of the, the loss last night or whatever. It's just like, I'm waiting for them to do good in a third period. I'm waiting for them to win. You know, I'm waiting for them to, I mean, they're able to, like, fight back and tie it up and everything, but they can't get over the hump this year. They cannot. I want to like bring a point up just briefly. Uh, did you see the that. chart that Micah McCurdy posted? I think it was yesterday, recording this Wednesday, when it came to, like, score tracked. Like, here's how it looks when it comes to a team's scoring margin, first period, second period, third period. The Panthers' wave uh, looks completely different to any other team in the league. 
you look at, you know, the really good teams, oh, it obviously starts at zero and then it goes up. Or if they're a terrible team like the Ducks, it goes down. The Panthers, it'll go like up and then down just before period ends. And then it'll go up and then down. And then the third period, it's up. And then by the end, it goes back to even. So it's what's very happening? Fun. Like that chart doesn't appear for any other team. I mean, it's it it. To, I mean, my first read and and it's because of my biases. It's Maurice managing the game away. Mm. Look, I I agree with you, and I want to get to some points that uh, Corey Schneider made. If you haven't read his McKean's piece, I know it's a couple weeks ago, but all of the points still hold up. And obviously, he wrote that when the team wasn't quite in the position it is now, but I think all of the points hold up, and we will have Corey on the podcast at some point to explain it more because. As we said on the last show we did, this is a very difficult problem to ascertain if you're not watching the games as closely as we do. And that's not a dig on these people. You can't watch every game as closely as we do when it comes to one team. But it is, as Corey said, and I put it in a different term that I don't think explained as well as he did. It's a death by a thousand paper cuts, basically. And as I have said, the marginal you know decisions that they've made have all pretty much been wrong. Like when he talks about you know, okay, here's the personnel decision that hasn't worked out. Oh, a key player's injured and then the whole thing falls apart, you know? And that's because of the things that Paul Maurice wants them to do or the deployments. Like, everybody made fun of them putting Mark Stahl out in the four-on-three penalty kill last night, but that's the kind of decision that we're talking about here. You know, I think that whoever they put on the ice, they were going to get scored against regardless, but give yourself a better chance if, Paul, if it's not Mark Stahl. Or... Here's the line matchup he's going to go with in this situation, and it just doesn't work. And really, it took him until the middle of January to even find some consistency in the top six by putting Lundell on the wing, and even that took sacrificing Anton Lundell and, at center. Yeah, know? I mean, and yeah, again, he, he, he cheated to get that. I mean, sometimes a coach has to do that, but when that's like your big saving grace move, uh, like that's like the one thing you've done, it's not great. Uh, you know, but like, what, what's the issue? I, I mean, as you, as you look, you see later, I mean, this is somewhat backed up by what's on hockey viz and somewhat, you know, my eye test, but when they're in the leads, you know, the bottom six start playing more and more and more and they start to get out in situations and he, he starts getting comfortable leaving them out for extended shifts. Like they get, they go up and down the ice, a whistle blows, it's 30 seconds, get them off. But you know, it's the third period. They're up a goal. They stay on that extra five seconds. Well, that for that face-off. That extra face-off in five seconds turns into another 30 seconds up and down the ice. They're tired. You know, like, I, I see that a lot. Like, the more they're in the, the – when they're in the lead or later in the periods, you start to see him start leaning on stall, start leaning on some grinders and the chip and chases. And – I, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, he was supposed to bring in defensive awareness, you know, defensive stuff. I mean, the defensive zone is atrocious. I mean, Would you like been, to know where they fall right now in terms of goals against 30, the National 30th, Hockey League? 30th or 31st. They're not quite that bad, but they are, in fact, 28th. They are fourth yeah. in the league in goals scored. So the goal scoring hasn't gone away. They're fourth in the league in goals scored. But they are 28th. In goals again. Some of that is because they've played more games. And, but and because the only teams they, behind uh, them are they gave Columbus. Up 13 in two days. So that, yeah, that I, I know, hard. right? Columbus, Vancouver, San Jose, Anaheim. Like, yeah. he came in to help this team be better from a playoff structure. 
and uh, yeah, no, they're not that. I wonder, and you were they don't ha- like there was an identity and a structure last year. I could tell you where players were going to be more in the D zone and stuff. Like I can tell you where a lot of guys are going to be in the D zone this year, but that's because it's like standing around over there, standing around over there, trying to jump and leave the zone early. Yep, there he goes. You know, like, but it's not like it's not like in the good predictable way last year. Like when they needed to break out of the puck. They knew how hard and they could rim the puck, and they knew where they were rimming it because they knew where that defenseman was, I mean, where that winger was flying to and where that winger was going to get to. Uh, this year, you know, guys are reacting late. They're this, they're that. They're missing cues. They're, they're crisscrossing and stuff. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's no, there's no defensive system that takes this long to learn or get comfortable with that you'd be still making the mistakes of like, oh, he's overthinking it because he's trying to think where he's supposed to be instead of where he needs to go and all this stuff. I mean, these are professional players. This is NHL. Um, and college teams that are a college club would get, you know, new coaches and new systems and stuff and be able to figure it out, you know, a month or two into this into the season. You know, 40-some games is is a lot. I want to say what Corey said to me, and I said this to you, and you obviously, and we're all on the same page here, and Corey obviously has more data and, you know, watching tape to, to back it up other than us just watching it and seeing it anecdotally and, and looking at numbers and going, yeah, no, that sounds about right. Right. And I'm going to quote him directly here in a DM he sent me, and we'll, again, we're going to explain this more in another podcast with him in the future. It kind of shows when we're talking about death by a thousand paper cuts when it comes to roster decision systems. It kind of shows with their D-zone coverage when they're defending a one-goal lead. The defensemen usually challenge to the outside, but they stay home in front of the net, and the forwards don't really know if they're supposed to be taking a man or covering an area, so it leads to teams killing them in the slot. He mentioned it in an Islander game. That was the Islander game before the, uh, the break when the Panthers totally collapsed. Then when the puck is loose, they're too burned out from defending to create anything off the rush. When they're down a goal, they don't play with any sort of composure. And you saw that last night. Like, they have a one-goal lead, and then how quickly did it turn when it looked like they were going to be hemmed into their zone for two minutes and they just couldn't get the puck out? Yeah. You know. I mean, they get they either turn lazy and they get, you know, standing still and stuff, or they become like Alex Lyon and get really desperate and and make <laughs> make some really great plays, but then also are sliding around and make some really bad plays. And, and that's the thing. Like, I said last year that the team with the defensemen that they had were incredibly good because they played on instinct. And the system that Brunette and Quenville had was an instinctive system. And it worked for the kind of defensemen that the Panthers have who are athletes. And if you're allowing them to play on instinct where you don't have to think as hard, you know, you can get, you know, beat, obviously. But the system covers for the weaknesses of your players. In many ways, I think what Paul Maurice wants his teams to do defensively you know, if you don't have the horses at forward to do it, if you don't have Barkoff on the ice, who obviously is an eraser and does everything, or Sam Bennett, who has actually, as you said, improved defensively, and I think has played really well the last couple of months, when you're having to run centers out there who are just not capable of doing that sort of thing, this is what's going to happen. I, I think that Coppin and Maurice just yell them to try harder for defense. Like, the whole thing is, like... Corey said, you know, the D are used to pressuring on the outside, pushing the outside, trying to make the other team make plays. The center's job is to bust their ass back, 
or to be back and cover and get the puck and start the breakouts and this and that and, and go in between and go inside out and, and all of that. Um, and like, I just think that, you know, if it's not working, that means the defensemen aren't press pressuring hard enough, like a Ford check or, you know, or, or coming back quick enough or the def- or the Fords, you know, aren't covering well enough. It's just always like, you just got to work harder. You just got to grind it out more because like, there's been some, there's been some adjustments like, so Sometimes. I wanted to go into that, and I but, apologize again for interrupting you, but, but I wanted to go into that. What adjustments have you seen? Because it's clear that they're different than what we saw in end of November, December, when this was going off the rails. I mean, it. I can't even tell if it's just the players like doing this, or if it's you know a, a change because it's so inconsistent. But you know, the centers have been a little you know higher in the breakouts and being able to get up into the rush and getting passes from wingers on the breakouts instead of, you know, giving the passes, hanging back and covering the defenseman who's already in the center lane swinging up the ice, you know. Um, So I've seen that more, and I've also seen uh, a little bit more of the defensemen both, you know, playing off of each other and, you know, not being, not like, oh, if one defenseman has the puck, I should be getting above him, getting up ice so he can give me a pass. They're more, you know, how, how can I get back and give him an easy support option uh, and, and allow him to skate up and push the pace or to find the option, you know, elsewhere. But it's it's inconsistent. And, I mean, those are tweaks. They're not like, like, I think the overall system of having the defenseman play, like, the third high forward aggressive attacking downhill and the forward's coming back and and working their ass off back and stuff like isn't working it's not a realistic evolution of the system last year to the more playoff style they want I, i think they have to do like i mean there are teams that like if you watch buffalo and owen power if you watch some of these you know kale mccarr and the avalanche and taves is another defenseman that really look at there you know the stars even with with Heiskanen and stuff these guys are activating in the play when it's defensively smart they're staying structurally in the defensive system until it's time to go and then they work their tail off to get into the offensive spot they know they might be starting from a bit further behind the play or they might have to read things a little quicker and, and faster and, and, and before the other team to, to get to open spots. But that's a challenge they're willing to take versus exposing themselves defensively or um, getting caught as much flat-footed, unaware of their surroundings, turning the wrong way, getting caught in a pivot or a crossover. I mean, there's just a lot of things that Florida defensemen do where it's like, you just ruined six minutes of like really good focused play by having a brain fart and forgetting that you can't turn that way with a guy like Adam Fox or you know like you can't just like wave at the oh the the Crosby at goal the at the end of the yeah. uh, second period was another fours it was exactly the yeah. same as the Fox and, mistake and, and I'm not killing penalties pretty well up until that point and then brain fart and the problem with the Panthers this year is whether it's because of goaltending or otherwise when they make those mistakes. It's in the net almost all the time, and those yeah, are backbreakers I, to give up. The to me the it's it's obvious. I mean, 
I've, I've been saying for a while they need to get different types of defensemen. Just like for a while they needed to get better wingers. And we were always saying the wingers suck. Well, now they have good wingers. You know, they're getting Verhage's and Duclairs and Kachuk's. They're Denisenko's even coming back around. They're they're doing pretty good with wingers. Uh, you know, they're make lost training can become a, can be a winger sometimes. Lundell can be a winger sometimes. It's great. I love it. But you know, they need to do that with defensemen. They they are not develop. They don't have an They have a half baked identity of what they want their defensemen to be. It's a liability at this point. It's making it harder on their goalies. It makes it harder on Alex Lyon, who had a couple good games, but I mean, he's I Alex mean, Lyon. Al- he's a good third string goalie in the NHL. I would say average to good. You know, wherever you want to draw the line in between there, I think is fine. But you know, two games back to back against two playoff teams that know the know the Panthers are coming in and need points. Like, I mean, I thought the Rangers played pretty well. I thought the Penguins played pretty well. They were chippy. They were engaged. I mean, it was Latang's first game back. He was amped for it. And, you know, he did the best he could, but the best he could effort-wise, he didn't have the best two games of his NHL career, even though his NHL career is short. And, you know, like, I think he he can do better than what he did, even though we got 100% effort from him. Uh, and that's that, that, that really hurts. They needed to have... Of two fresh goalies in those games, at least. If it's going to be AHL goalies, give me a fresh one. Give me someone that's not like already in his head about getting lit up the night before. Yeah, you know? I, I, I also want to say that I think Shana, uh, Shana Goldman uh, put it out a map. It was the natural statric heat map of the game, and they're like, you think the Panthers should have maybe played a little better defensively against, you know, they Crosby can't. and Malkin? But like they they can't like and that's what I was and that's what I, I didn't tweet this but I was thinking the same thing you did I said what if they can't do that like they don't know how to do they don't know how to make offense from defense and I don't mean and I don't mean that as a at a team level I mean the defensemen are basically told they have to cheat to get offense they have to play risk averse to to get offense and I just don't believe in that I think. I think the defensemen today are too skilled, too athletic, too good, too good of skaters to to believe that they can't they can't be better defensively and offensively. It just I don't get it. I see enough examples in the NHL right now. Florida needs to go get that example. We'll go get some of the defensemen like that. They need to go get a coach that's going to be able to do something more than with a team with this squad than what he's doing. You know, his answer can't be keep smashing Mark Stahl on the penalty kill, you know, or Eric Stahl on the penalty kill. Let's be fair. Yeah. But I mean, like there's there, it's getting a little better, but the quality, it's still improving to the quality of an under playoff team, a team that's like, I mean, we're we're not the Ottawa Senators. We're not the Buffalo Sabers. Like, this is not where we should be. This is not the type of conversations we should be having. And it's up to the management to figure out what they want and how to get that. Because, uh, you know, that's if they're still engaged. Because I, I'm disheartened 
I'm disheartened by the silence. I'm disheartened by the inaction. You know, Mahura and Giovanni Smith, like, great. Fantastic. Let's do a little more than that. This is blatantly bad. There's things they can be doing. There's things that they should do by the trade deadline. And, you know, there's things they can do with internal options. Like, I'm not telling, like, if Zito can't get a trade, you can't get a trade. John Lundvig's having a good year in the AHL. There's, you know, you have to you have to send Max Gildan to Bakersfield again because you have too many lefties in the system. How about we call one up? You know, like if, has if a desperate need for left-hand like shot if they, guys. If if these guys aren't good enough to play in the NHL over a broken and tired Mark Stahl, then get rid of them. Then I don't want. Uh, then why are we? Why are you paying? You don't need all of them in Charlotte. Cut them in half. Get rid of some of them, you know? Like, just why are you keep signing these guys and bringing these guys in if they're not good enough, you know? Or drafting these guys if they're not going to be good enough. Yeah. I want to uh, go ask a question here just for a second because you were talking about the, the, the Stars example with Haskinen and obviously with Colorado and in some cases with the Sabres. Like, the way that they can, you know, turn defense into offense from a smarter you know, perspective. Obviously, I think they think at the game at a higher level than many of the Panthers defensemen do, and that's not an insult. We're talking about but that, some of the best. But that's the brass packs, and that's an issue. I mean, oh no, no, no. Like, if you, Ekblad's not smart enough, like if you if they've decided Ekblad is not smart enough, blah blah blah, trade him and get a defenseman that's smart enough. If you don't think your decor is smart enough, add defensemen that are smart. I wanted like, to bring the point I, I, out, like, but, but why yeah. couldn't they be? Because you have a group of defensemen, as we know, that are I, athletes. Why couldn't they do some of the things well, that Kale McCarr I, I and Miro Haskinen do? Well, I mean, half the equation, at least, is that they're to, they're not told to. And that's they're, what I and that's what I'm saying. Like, why couldn't they yeah, be told because, to do that? Because no one's given told them. Like, no one sat Brandon Montour down and said. Stop saying you're a rover. That's a disrespect to how good you are of, of a defenseman. Like you have come out, you have be, you've put yourself in a tier of defensemen that when you were traded to Florida was not something possible. You are coming up to a career year, a career making contract in in a year. He is one of the top twenty defensemen in in offensive like, war look this at year. What, Look like he he could go to Uyghur level like if he wants to be or even better like if he wanted to be if if he wants to play defense and and not just be a rover and everything I think he could still score 20 points and play 26 27 minutes a night through his prime top pair defenseman on a power play, you know, all that good stuff. Like, he will get his points. Like, you, like you're, if he can turn himself into a right, like right-handed defenseman or, or skaters, goal-scoring defenseman, like, that's what every team wants. They will pay you $8 million for seven years to do it, dude. Like, I think he can do it. I, I didn't think that I, what I, he's doing this year was possible. That's why I'm so frustrated that like they haven't done that. Like you can play inside the dots more. You can be you can play more central ice. You you're strong enough, you're fast enough, you're skilled enough, you can play off your backhand enough. 
You don't have to stick to the outside. You don't have to just you you you're good. You can you can take defensive plays from a structure. You don't have to shut down guys just by surprising them and being aggressive. You can do it through your stick skill, through your your skating, through you know all these other ways of just shutting these guys down. He, I mean, he's a pain in the corner when he wants to be. He's a pain in front of the net. But no one's telling him to be a pain in front of the net every night. They're telling him to get up in the play. And that's my issue. He doesn't need to be told to get up in the play. Just let him get up in the play. Just don't yell at him. Like, I think that some coaching has gone way too far the other way where it's like we're coaching them to play forwards instead of, like, just letting them be offensive and not yelling at them when they are. Like, because they will be involved. Forwards are looking for them. You know, they there's always holes. And if you encourage them to jump when it's when you know they can, it's fine. I think that, as I said, and I wonder, and I want to ask you this because I'm not obviously anywhere near smart enough to talk about NHL coaching, but I just think that Paul Maurice's mindset as a coach in some of these instances feels a little too old school for the new school NHL. And I, I'm not saying that this is entire, again, it's right. anecdotal. But, but the part about the, the good part about the old, and I agree with you, like he's old school in that, like he doesn't know how to get these players to do things. He's old school as in like, he's just kind of like yelling at the refs and rah, rah, rah. And, you know, like, but he doesn't think that he can coach these guys up or he doesn't, you know, take, take it upon himself to coach these guys up a lot more than he does in skill departments and and things like that. I think that these players want to be coached. You know, a lot of guys are going to come in and ask, what can I do to be better? It's not work harder. It's, Hey, I can work with you on systems and video. Like he, he's apparently talked about how much he likes video. Well, do it. You yeah, know? but I mean, I mean, and we could be way wrong. I mean, like I mean, we don't know. It just seems Maurice like that from the outside. Breaking, Maurice could be in there breaking down film and saying, "Montour, listen, this goal you scored. Look at you. You jumped too early, and you're at the blue line waiting for the puck. You get the puck, and you get a good shot off, and so you still score. That's great, and everything." But you could have, like, that shows that you can jump in later in the plays and still get there in the time for you when you would get the puck or need the puck. You know what I mean? So, like, things like that. Like, he could be doing all that. And the issue could be the players. But then get rid of the players. Like, the management should know what the issue is. And they need to fix it for next year. Because this is brutal. I cannot take this anymore. Like, it is so frustrating because they should be... Like, this is one of the only Panthers teams that is going to miss the playoffs, but should make the playoffs. Like, unlike the years where they make the playoffs, but they probably shouldn't have. Um, you know, so it's it's ridiculous to me. I'm, I'm just so frustrated of seeing the same thing over and over and over again. And sometimes they manage to win the close games, and sometimes they lose, or sometimes they get blown out. But, like, it's the same thing on repeat. And uh, like we said... Great that the effort's there. Great that they got out a lot of wins and, and stuff. And for how the refs have been jobbing them and, and uh, you know, some of the injuries that they've gone through and just bad luck bounces. Like, it's great that they're not pouting and it's great. But, like, that should be, like, the baseline of what a president's – like, they won the president's trophy. Like, you should expect that the effort and 
character and and you know willingness to fight through stuff is there. Like that's great, but like it's not it's not going to matter if they can't figure out goaltending, if they can't like figure out game management and like schedule management and load management and like all this management stuff. I wonder who I'm really talking to. Um, you know, like I I think Zito's great. I think Zito's great. I just I think he didn't put in I I don't think unlike me I would have been maybe I would have overmanaged it. But they're coming back, man. They're working and you know a week ahead of time you're circling the double header Monday, Tuesday. Everything when Bob gets hurt, the whole conversation should be how can we make sure that we have goalies on the Monday and Tuesday? What do we need to do to give our boys the chance? You know what I mean? Like, that's what the conversation should be. Like, they're saying the belief's in the locker room. Where's the belief in the management? In July, they're saying this is going to be a year, a tough year in playoffs, and they're downplaying playoffs and all this stuff, and it's going to take two months to get, you know, all this. Like, where's the belief from management? And I, and I think that's pal- palatable on the ice. Where last year, the same management was throwing so much faith behind the team. We're going all in. This is a special team, blah, blah, blah. And you saw it on the ice. They believe they could do things. They believe they could come back. And it just, you know, it made the, it made the year a lot better. Can I go over a couple stats that are still insane to me about this team? Yeah. Not just the fact that they don't but, have a three-game winning streak. That used to be a thing we talked about under Bugner for years. Like Bugner and Rowe, that they oh, yeah. three games in a row, and it was pathetic then. It's really pathetic now. Uh, this team still has only three wins when they gave up the first goal this year. I believe their record, if i doing the math right, is 3-13-2, I think. If I'm right, Ooh. that sounds about right. I think last night I saw in the graphic it was 28 and three when they scored the first goal. Now it's 28 and four, so that would make them three 13 and two, which is obviously bad. They believe they still have a record of zero, and who cares when they trail after a period, like any period, in the comeback <laughs> NHL this year. The Panthers have no wins when they trail after the first or the second period, which is. Again, bonkers. The fact that a team has already lost 12 games in total, uh, regulation or overtime, when they score first is crazy. And the, and I obviously love the fact that they talk about advanced stats on the broadcasts and Goldie and Billy do uh, – Goldie and Billy, I wish. Goldie and Red Deer, I'm sorry. Sorry, Billy, I wish you were on the TV broadcast still. And that's no offense to, to Randy Moeller, who I think has gotten better, but I, I, I'm a huge Bill Lindsay fan. I've said that before. Like, they talk about how they're number one in inner slot shots or whatever it is. And that, all of that is great. I love that they are still largely the offensive team that they were. A lot of that's Matthew Kachuk as a unicorn. But I still want to talk about how, you know, this team needs to be better in the areas you've talked about defensively. And I'm going to talk about this with Corey at some point in the future. It's, can this team get a different kind of defenseman? Just view the way they view defensemen slightly differently for one guy, and maybe that one guy changes I mean, the dynamic here slightly enough that we're yeah. not talking about this the same way we've talked about this defense yeah. for the last couple of years. And, and this is outside of you know developing the defenseman you do have. You know you got a guy off waivers who we keep say- saying because he's not played yet. Um, 
is hungry, is motivated to make this work here. Uh, obviously, and, and the can't waivers. Play him because God yeah. forbid you have to play Mark Stahl every night, even if you're playing a defender on his offhand, which has which, happened. Which Maurice quite a bit. won't. Which Maurice just will refuse to do, which is part of the old school thinking. Yep. Um, yep. I'm I'm a righty. I prefer to play on the left hand side. There's differences. I mean, there's pros, but there's cons. I mean, like it is not that great you know, to pick up pucks on your backhand on the board. So you have to be really good at picking them off with your skates and stuff or knowing what puck is not gettable and what puck is gettable and, and those kinds of things. You you do have to give and take there. Uh, but, you know, there's positives too. Your stick's on the outside when you're coming down. Uh, so it's easier to get stick on puck on rushes and, and step up and stuff. I don't think we talked enough on the show about out, how you playing as a defenseman for years on your offside is kind of like informs a lot of the way you view this game. Yeah. Which I mean, and, and like, cause you just have to be smarter about your positioning and where you are because it's just not like, you just don't have the, Oh, I can lean on my out on my forehand, which is the outside lane where there's less pressure, you know, all that kind of stuff or, Pucks coming back to you, you know, getting rimmed around you, you know, in the offensive blue line, it's it's easy to pick up and work into a shot and stuff. But I, you know, a guy like Montour can do it. A guy like Ekblad can do it. Has done it. They do it on the power play all the effing time. Like it, like the argument that they can't is not really true. It's are they able to and. Are, can they do it good enough to help the team overall is a different story, but you never find out if you don't do it. And, and I think that's something that I've learned. Yeah. I mentioned in the last, I show. mean, Mackenzie Weger, like, Oh yeah. Like their second best defenseman that they've had in the last decade is, is a, is a right hand defenseman who was moved to the left. Cause they didn't have enough left hand defenseman really, you know, like he played left and you know, that was it. Like, I don't understand why they don't think Montour can do it for a bit or, you know, Gudis can't do it to, to, to pair with Fitzgerald and kind of show him the ropes and stuff. I, I just, I never you know. want to think in terms of coaching terms, what can't certain players do right. and what a system can't do. Because I, I mean, always want to think about let's, what let's they talk can about do. This, let's talk about this again. The Panthers play like they're, they all rotate. It's not like if you're a right defenseman, you're on the right side of the ice all the time, right? I mean, like, look at Montour. He's on the left side all the time, so you can get one-timers and all this other stuff. Like, like, you know, and then when you turn around, it's a different link, rink. So if you're a righty on the left-hand side and they dump the puck in, you're going to get the puck, or they dump it in the other side and it's coming around to your side, it's a lot easier to turn around and get that puck if you're a righty on your offhand side. Like, there are, like... Like, it's just, you know, like, it, the game's so fluid now. Like, you will get the positives of your forehand. You'll get the negatives on your backhand, no matter where what side of the ice you play. Because, like, you know, you're doing switches in the defensive zone. You're doing this. You're doing that. So there is no excuse. They don't want to play Fitzgerald because Maurice doesn't want to play him. Because Maurice doesn't want to play anybody but the six defensemen they have in the lineup right now. That, yep. That's the end. And Compton, you know, the, the defensive coach, I'm assuming, feels the same way. Or, you know, Maurice feels the same way as, as Compton and Compton's choice. But, you know, like, there's – I get it. I wouldn't sit Montour. I'm not sitting for – you know. But, like, 
you should like, and if they're not going to change anything, it's on the Zito to trade Gudis and open up that hole. Because yeah. I, I see three, like they have Fitzgerald who can play right now. We talked about Kanunin. Michael Benning is in the Hobie Baker running. Is he really? Yes, and he's a right-handed defenseman. He's going to be old, and he's going to be wanting shots and things, or he's just going to, you know, let me let me see how many years of college because I think he if one more he can become free agent. Coronavirus really messed up the timeline. Oh yeah, you got COVID right. years. Yeah, that that. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many. Like I I don't know if uh, he can like. Yeah, he's in his third year in college, so if you know they're gonna want to sign him this summer. So like you like it's time like you have to get these guys ice time. You have to let these guys play. Mm. And I was gonna make my point about um, Doug Peterson again because it's not because you know I just want to spend all this time talking about him, but I I focus. You love Doug. I do love Doug Peterson because the Jaguars were even worse than the Panthers were, for, and they no, made the no, divisional I mean, round. Were a play or two away listen, from going to the AFC title I, game. I can't make fun of anybody who brings a championship to Philadelphia. I just you know, can't. Well, also. I can't. As, the this rule. is true. This is true. But also, I don't make like, the rules. I just, I just live by them so I can live in this area alive. This is, this is correct, especially as somebody who is not. But I have never – I didn't appreciate Doug Peterson when he was in Philadelphia because I didn't focus on it. But I appreciated watching the Jaguars this year. And I'm using this as a Panthers example, so air me out. I did it the last time. He took a team that was an – like Urban Meyer was – like way worse than Tom Rowe ever was. Like I know I make we make fun of Tom Rowe all the time, and that was obviously embarrassing. Urban Meyer was ten times worse than that, and and I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> I I don't doubt it. He no no no. Horrible. I mean I I cannot explain in it. Like we're already doing this podcast for an hour and thirteen minutes. I could spend two hours talking about how bad Urban Meyer was. Doug Peterson came in and in one year took largely the same team with some additions. And he, they were a couple of plays away from the AFC Championship game, the Jaguars, because he yeah. was a coach who understood, I have to adjust the way I do business and the things that I want to do because I have certain personnel and that's the way I'm going to have to make it work. You don't take personnel and make them fit you. You fit your personnel. And that's the thing I'm saying with Paul Maurice. There are certain things that he is obviously good at as a coach. He's good as a communicator, what have you. And... Everyone really did enjoy the fact that he reamed out the refs from that Toronto. Yeah, game. I mean, great. That it's I've been saying like that's the thing I liked about Gallant. I like that about Maurice. Like I want somebody with a passion behind the bench who knows when to blow up to help, you know, to like, hey, you know, the team needs to rally around something. These refs are screwing us. I'd rather them rally around, you know, going out there and playing hard because I'm blowing up the refs or whatever than you know getting down about the refs or you know i like that uh that's the old that's kind of old school stuff i do like oh and he's just, and he's done the it same it feels in like this run and i've enjoyed that yeah but like that can't that can't be enough like that's not gonna save his like for me it's like it's the same thing with like denisenko like well it's not the same thing because denisenko's obviously a couple tiers higher than maurice but like like Denisenko's playing better. But if we're going to keep Denisenko, he has to be playing a lot better than this. Like, I mean, hopefully it'll come and everything, but if you think his long-term trajectory is third-line winger, 
I would not be opposed to moving him for a defenseman you think could be a second pair defenseman who plays on the left side. You hear what I'm saying? Yes. Like, no, no, you're 100% you know, right. Like, and I wanted like to if they could get, like, very briefly they get, your, yeah. your, your thought process here is 100% correct because the Panthers have proven that they can take anybody and turn them into a decent winger. Like, we now yeah, know that they line, can do this. Third line, yeah. Third they can line take even, the scraps of the Trotrek trade. You know, they yeah, could, and, you know, they... And so, like, they've proven that they can do this. But with – and what I'm saying is I'm not saying Grigory Denisenko is replaceable. I'm saying you can find what Grigory Denisenko does rather easily in this league if you're looking in, a, in the right place. So the Panthers have proven that they can do that from guys in and their own house. when you only have so many chips in the bank to spend to bring in some, something that you're missing, somebody has to go. And, like, is it him or Mackey? Samuskevich, like you know, like I, I'd rather Denisenko. Because <laughs> I think there, there's given like, the if no Denisenko's ceiling up. is this, I'm not saying it is this, but if it is this, somebody will go say, oh, first round pick, he's got the pedigree, he's got the talent, I yeah. can make something of that. And you know? and if they do, that's that's great. I mean, I'm like I'm more convinced that he can have a career in Florida than I was a month ago. But I still think it's going to be hard for him to reach past ceilings, past ideas of his ceiling here. I think if he went and started new, maybe if he went to a team that was a contender that was, you know, focused on using him, maybe like a Nashville or something like that, or I don't, you know, not that they're a contender, but they try to be. They have Saros and stuff, but, uh, you know, like, well, also, His I just want to give the example high, of Owen Tippett in, in Philly, because I know you're yeah. watching. Like, Owen Tippett was never going to do what he's doing now. I mean, the Flyers are bad, but yeah, Owen but Tippett's then, playing but, better. But he was never going to do that in Florida, and that's fine. But you're looking at him now, and he looks to be like, yeah, maybe he's on the path to becoming a Mike Hoffman, like, at best. Still. Like, I mean, that's still his trajectory. Like, it's, I don't know if, I don't. I don't. I mean, maybe he becomes a first line winger. I still don't see that, and like that's what you kind of need to see from Denisenko to be willing to keep him, because you're looking at your core that you got that you're trying to win with now, and everything. Like everything I say is, I want the Florida Panthers to win a Stanley Cup. If you have to trade Barkov to do that, fine. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever, but like. You know, that's those are my motives. And I'm looking at this roster, and your top six wingers are pretty set in stone if you want them to be. And, you know, if you, if you really think Denisenko is that make or break to your top six wingers right now, I wonder what you're thinking about the defense because that must be in shambles. Um, so, like, you know, you got to give something up. And and uh, maybe it's better to get to to move Denisenko and keep Bennett for next year. Maybe it's better to trade Bennett and keep Denisenko, or trade Duclair and keep Denisenko. I don't know. I'm tired of trying to have to figure it out. Uh, I just want Florida to like kick it into gear because Alexander Barkov has played about a decade in the league and has nothing to show for it really. Like he has one playoff he, series win. He's a Hall of Fame talent and he's probably not gonna make the Hall of Fame because of Florida. And that 
that oh, honestly yeah. like breaks my heart. Oh, that's, a depre- that's a depressing thought because I think recently he doesn't since have he came like back the, from he, his. He's not Canadian. He doesn't have the personality of like Luongo, and he doesn't play the position and stuff where, where like his importance can be like is on display and stuff. I mean, and like again, Luongo had a run to the cup. He did. Almost, like, and he should have won the cup if it, like he played well enough in Game Seven to win a Stanley Cup. And that's all you can do as a as an individual player. And he had the and gold medals a, too, he, obviously. Yeah, and he was a great teammate and stuff. And you know, maybe Barkov can get a gold medal, but I don't know. Like, well, the NHL has to allow their players to play in certain events in order to make that happen. Yeah. He did play. Like, the dude was 18 years old that he played for that Finland team in 2014. Sadly, he got hurt there. But I mean, that Finland team was pretty damn good. So, uh, I, the the one thing I want to say. Like, he's been, since he came back from illness and whatever he's been dealing with, he has been great. Like, he's just been yeah. awesome. He's been wonderful. And I also want to say... the team's best player. And oh. I know people struggle with that because of how good Matthew Kachuk is. And, hey, it's great, man. I might buy a Sherwood hockey stick because of Matt Kachuk. So, can, like, I, can I just great. say, uh, first and foremost, and, like, there's a lot of criticism we give of the front office, and that's fair because they deserve to be criticized. But, like, when they said they were training for a unicorn, they, they got a unicorn. Like, oh, is... my gosh, don't say unicorn one more time. I don't think he's a unicorn. He has a brother in the league that plays kind of like him. I think he's – I think Matthew Kachuk's pretty much, like, head and shoulders I mean, better than Brady, yeah, but whatever. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and no, he no, plays no, like his it. dad. And his dad was a Hall of Famer. You know, like, I, I don't want to – he is one of the best wingers in the game, top three or top five winger in the game. One of the best players in the game overall. I'm so happy he's on the Panthers because I'd hate to be against him. Uh, he's a real, he's a real dick on the ice, to be honest with you. He uh, but, is. He, but, but he's like, the exact I'm, kind of player you like, want. Yes, because I was tired of Barkov getting hit from behind and no one doing anything, or you know, people snowing the goalie and, and not somebody trash talking them the rest of the game because they snowed the goal because that's not polite you know that's what Kachuk does and you know a lot of that brings the team back back into it and you know but you look at Barkov uh I I can't say enough good things about him but the the biggest thing for me is that he's able to make anybody good he's able to play with anybody on his line he plays the same way and the line mates take his characteristics um you know i I have to say like as much as the you know lundell on the wing thing you know but i mean it's for duclair it's you know when kachuk's up there kachuk plays a whole different pace a whole different idea of hockey than barkov and they still play well together. Yep. I mean, like he's he, made everybody. He's made everybody he better just, in his career. Yeah. So remember I mean, Seth Griffith. Do you remember that? No. I, anyway. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. So they have the core. Just fucking win. I'm so tired of it. This is ridiculous. That it's you know over halfway through the season, they're not. They're still not really playing well enough. Uh, they still have the same issues that I was complaining about last year, all the way through the season. Hey, they should be getting better at this. Hey, they should be looking to do this. Hey, they should be doing this. Hey, you know, like I'm saying the same things again, and it's not happening, and it's just really annoying. Cause like I may be wrong, I may be right, doesn't matter. But 
you know, no progress is getting done, so it doesn't seem well, as fun team, to watch. I, I'm completely okay with this team, you know, being where they are, like what Jack Hahn said they were in no, end of October, November, which is a bottom of the eight playoff team, which is fine, but they're not that right now. And there are reasons why they're not, and they shouldn't be. Like, I understand that the schedule, like all these things are great, but I don't, I don't buy the excuses. You got to fight through them because everybody's fight through. Again, the Penguins have half their team injured every year and they still make the playoffs. You know, right. the Capitals had half the team injured every year and they're still where they are. You know, Tampa, they, Tampa, I mean, and they played more hockey than anybody, and Tampa's still where they are. So I, I don't buy the yes. excuses. They, I don't think about what can't be done. I think about what can be done. And right now, at times, I think people in, in Florida think about what can't be done. And when you start thinking about that, that's when you limit yourself. And I think that the last couple of years, what did it teach us? That they can start doing things that we didn't think they could do previously. And now this, and whatever, whether it was how it ended with Tampa, whether it was the Andrew Burnett, I don't know what it was. But then they start thinking about what they couldn't do anymore. And that's not what this organization should be thinking about. And that's just, to me, the bottom line. Start thinking about what you can do instead of what you can't do. You've got enough players who have proven that what you can do is limitless. Don't think about what you can't. Um, is there anything else you wanted to get to? I, I want to say about uh, quickly about the uh, the Canucks and Bruce Boudreaux before we get out of here. I mean, oh, hey, I got to tell you, I thought it was TNT led off Wednesday night coverage with Tockett on TV and Liam McHugh was making it. They're all laughing about it and, and be, you know, no mention of Bruce Boudreaux at all sportsnet is running on it i mean friedman is openly talking about it on podcasts on every radio hit he does you know like everybody's talking about america everybody's talking about this and then only once there's fan backlash at the canucks game does everybody then do the hey is i can't believe this is happening how has this been going on well i thought it was terrible it was totally, totally, uh, partly, fe- it was totally fed by the media. And the only way those secrets are allowed to exist openly with no one asking any tough questions is the media. You know, like how come there weren't any tough questions a week and a half ago when everybody knew Tockett was going for this interview and stuff? His assistants right? were at that point. Right. They're openly talking about, they're openly titling podcasts with, you know, who's go- like Tockett's coaching staff in Vancouver, blah, blah, blah. I can't imagine what the radio hits in Vancouver were talking about nonstop, 24-hour ra- radio. I mean, it's ridiculous because these same people jumped all over the fact that in one day the Panthers decided to fire coach and made the- and gave him a cab and they got pictured and everything. That's one day of acting like a fool and an idiot and making the wrong choice. The Canucks did it for 20 days at least, right? In in Man. air where it's like, you know, it's like everybody I, I saw, everybody's I saw talking about a guy this one out and it was it, and you know yeah. what when I think about cuz I mean, we were in the midst of everything else going on with Florida at that time and yeah, it was bad, but 
at least the, the the pill went down pretty fast. It was done and over. Because Elliot Friedman had right. a taped hockey night interview with Tom Rowe at one point. I don't think people remember that, but I do. Yes, it was. I, I think terrible. I texted oh Jeff God. Merrick about it. Like, right? Yeah, and Where, this, where's, and this where's, is it's it's and it's and that was not you know that was Gerard Gallant who everybody respected obviously, but now it it kind of reminds me. You know what it reminds me of to circle back to the top of the show. It reminded me of this one account, I think it was from Axios, I'm not going to name the journalist because I believe in dignity, talking about how Jim Bankoff's layoffs at Vox were a good thing, and then every single account was dunking on it. Like, that's kind of what it reminds me of. And, like, you do not have to hand it to them. Because, like, this was, like, when coaching changes happen... Like, this kind of reminds me of a little bit of, like, what happens like, in, like, college football or in English soccer when it's drawn so, out and everybody knows it's happening. And you're just like, do it already, for Christ's sake. What are you waiting for? Save biggest, everyone the trouble. Like, yeah. Like, here's the issue. Okay, maybe, you know, they might have a point that, you know, this happens all the time. They try to have somebody lined up before they fire a coach and they do it, you know, secretly. But once the secret gets out, Fire Boost Boudreaux. You have Mike Yo as an assistant coach to take over. Well, if you wanted to tank, that's the perfect coach yeah. to hire. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can just be like interim head coach, Mike Yo, blah, blah, blah. You figure out whatever contract thing you were that was taking so long with Tockett, and then you, you're done. But the biggest thing was that they decided to, like, pretend like they got caught cheating on their spouse, and they pretended like their partner didn't know and you know they were just gonna keep living like nothing was happening oh this is great isn't everything great honey blah 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 even though they knew because they were too chicken shit to just be like yeah yeah i know yep see ya bye i picked somebody else i you know they're the coach now um you know it's just ridiculous it 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 was not and and i also understand you couldn't catch me like like, I just think that is so despicable of what Rick Tockett did. Like, like coaching fraternity, bro. Coaching fraternity, the brotherhood. Like, oh, oh, that is terrible. Like, come on. That is, that is low. I hope well, something I, happens I just like felt that. Like, and here's the thing. When you heard the people, when you heard Bruce Boudreaux talk, the man's been coaching forever and clearly loves what he does. Like, he, he wouldn't have kept doing it if he didn't love what he does and the players knew too like that's the other thing is like the players aren't quitting on their coach they're just like man if you're gonna do something do it and then Mike McKenna wrote a thing uh I think it was for the daily face-off where it's like why would anybody want to go to Vancouver right now I mean yeah money and Vancouver's a great place to live and it's a great hockey market if the team's yeah good, but you're but not like, yeah but I mean like you're not attracting the best I mean like you're definitely taking hits from this like it's ridiculous. It, oh, I mean, it, and, and we complain about Panthers mismanagement all the time. And I can complain about all the mismanagement that I yeah. have seen in my life following and covering sports. But this was, I mean, but, this was, I mean, a, this was pretty impressive in terms of dysfunction. Vancouver, the perennial loser franchise in Canada. Come on. It's just, it's like, like yeah. they're. Like if you know At least the Oilers are going used bad, to be good. Hold it like this is what we talked about with Maurice and we'll continue to. If you know things aren't gonna work, don't you know, don't do some cost fallacy, don't drag it out, pull the shoot. Everybody's well, I mean, gonna be happier if you do it that I, way. There's 
there's no way Maurice is fired before the end of the year. No, no, no. I don't think he's going to yeah. be fired before the but, end. But I mean, of the hopefully he. But at this point, I'm worried if he's going to get fired at all. Um, just but, because but, like, I the think the point is, if you know something's not yeah. going to work, and in this case, yeah. they knew Bruce Boudreau wasn't going to work. They didn't know who gave him a contract extension. But here's the other thing I want to mention, and it's a buzzword in college football, but it's a word I use all, I think it really is a good word, even if you're going to hate me when I start overusing it. It's called alignment. And it's the idea that from the top on down, there's an alignment on who you are, what you are, what your vision is, what you're going to try to do. And in Florida, there is a ton of alignment issues almost all the time, less than there used to be, but there's alignment issues. In Vancouver, there's no alignment whatsoever. You have the owner doing one thing, you've got the president of hockey ops, and then a GM who's supposedly independent but isn't really, and then the coach, it's, it's a zigzag. Like, y- you can't win if you're not all on the same page pulling in the same direction. And in Vancouver, the fact that there's no alignment whatsoever meant that this situation just went to complete hell. And unfortunately, it's not like you have a built-in advantage by being the Vancouver Canucks when you're in a salary cap league and a bunch of teams are smarter than you. Like, in college football, you can be a poorly aligned mess, but if you're in the right place at the right time, you can still win even in spite of that. That ain't the case in the NHL. And that's why it just looked like such a like total disaster for the Canucks. And just really, really, really bad. And, I mean, there the, the one slight positive is you get a lot of good coverage out of Vancouver when you got, you know, as we say, you got Thomas Drance writing about it. You got a bunch of other people writing about it. And I think they've covered it brilliantly and, you know, in calling them out. And that's like, you know, sometimes when you're covering a sports team, you, and I understand access is a thing and particularly in hockey always is, but you have sometimes you got to put your foot down when you say this ain't working. And you guys look like a bunch of clowns because everybody can see it. And like, most fans are not, you know, they don't want to talk about alignment. They don't want to talk about ownership issues. They just want to talk about, you know, teams winning. And they can't do it when the number one issue is your team has no possible alignment in any way. It's hilarious. And, look, they won last night. They beat the – who cares? It was a tank battle. I mean, is Rick Tocca going to succeed in Vancouver? I doubt it, considering what the management is right there right now. And, again, as somebody mentioned, like, remember the Rachel Dory thing? from september i mean good lord that is uh yeah well i mean maybe they decided they didn't like bruce because of that you know maybe he yeah i I mean that whole thing is undecided about what ever happened there Um, i mean and i'm sure that because of litigation i I still think bruce brujo would be a really good coach in the right place i think he'd be a great coach in a quieter place like the dude, so are you saying Florida? Uh, I'm, I'm not – well, I thought he was a good coach. In it. I'm not saying I, – I would like him more than Paul Maurice. I have said that, even if obviously how it ended was – but I, I respect Bruce Boudreaux immensely. I mean, we saw what he did in Washington. I mean, look, playoff success obviously was not there. He did a really like, – I think he did a good job in Minnesota. I think he did a very good job in Anaheim. Like, I, I respect Bruce Boudreaux as a coach. I think that, again, you could put any good coach – in a situation that's terrible and they can't get out of it. Like Pete DeBoer has taken multiple teams to the Stanley cup final. He could take another one, but he wasn't a great coach in Florida because the Panthers at the time sucked. You know, Gerard Gallant, I think is a really good coach, but again, he was sunk by stupid management. Like if you are like very few coaches and very few management people can overcome those issues. 
And if you are, it means you are legitimately like a legend. That's why I make the Doug Peterson point because you overcame so much crap to get to where you are. Yeah. And that's what I keep saying. Like that's the lesson that I have learned in this Jaguar season as a fan, but also just to take it to the teams that I cover and the sports that I follow and why the Panthers example is very strong here. Because again, like if you can overcome that mess, you have to be a certain level of like greatest coach of all time in order to do it. And only very few have proven that they can be that Paul Maurice ain't that obviously. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what needs to be done, but I, I still think the biggest issue Zito was great when he had a plan, and every day he was Everyone's focused on... Everyone's got a plan on, until you get punched in the mouth. Well, well, every day he was focused on executing to that plan. Then Kachuk happened, and he said, the plan is to wait until next year. That's, I think that's what... I would change that plan. If that's still the plan, I would change it. Absolutely. Like, you cannot be waiting till next... Like, He's he's a guy that needs to be active. He needs a guy. He's a guy that needs to be constantly moving, putting pressure on the coaching staff to play the guys he's bringing in, like Fitzgerald and Mahora more because Mahora's earned it and stuff. Like there are some nights where you know maybe St- Mahora should be getting some shifts with Montour because Stahl can use a break and stuff like that. You sh- like I got this guy off waivers. Look at these stats. He's him and Gudis are a great pair. You should be playing them more. If he doesn't want to, if he doesn't feel comfortable telling Maurice that and stuff at this point, then it just means Maurice isn't good enough to, to be the coach. I, I mean, yeah, I can't keep talking about this. It's been a very we're not long going podcast, to make you talk about it. And then but sp- all I got to say is that whatever the issue is, they need to start doing things because from the outside perspective, they haven't done much of anything since the Kachuk trade. And as good as Kachuk was, is, and is going to be, and that contract is and is going to be, you have to do something with it. And I don't know, I don't, there's no magic cure-all in the summer next year. You don't know what's going to be, you know, you, just like you didn't know Kachuk was going to be available when he was and everything. You have no idea what's going to be next summer. You, you have to start making moves now, and you have to start being prepared for whatever that is going to happen in the summer. Because if Line becomes available, or if Pasternak becomes available, or if there's a defenseman that you're really into becomes available, or like Chikrin price gets lowered into where you can afford it, or you know LA Kings want to move one of their prospects you're really interested in, that you're ready for it and you have the assets you need and everything because you clear guys at the deadline and blow, you know, you you started to start targeting guys, you know. Who are defensemen that can play well with Montour and Ekblad? If Montour and Ekblad are all instincts and skill, and that you know, and a and a guy and a natural Sasha Barkov given talent, then you know who are guys that can complement that? Who can be a Forsling uh, to, to to be able to play with both of them? So you can rotate. You know, you can have a top four that rotate. You know, that's what they should be doing. It's ridiculous that they haven't been doing that for two years, or if they have been doing that, the best that we've gotten is Mark Stahl. And losing Uyghur with no re- replacement, because that's not good, man. I, and I'm done. I appreciate you allowing me to uh, talk about Vox and the Ivan Provorov situation the way you did. I promise you, Corey Snyder coming in the future, we're going to talk more about this Panther stuff, because he's got really good thoughts on it. 
and some other ideas or so. Hopefully we can execute them. Uh, also, enjoy the All-Star game. It's silly, but, you know, <laughs> if we could put Paul Maurice in the dunk tank, I'm just kidding. Anyway, good night and good hockey. <laughs>